It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and uh, welcome to Talent Talk. It's uh, Tuesday, so we're here uh, talking live. Uh, if you happen to be tuning in uh, to us live here today, I uh, have uh, two uh, really interesting guests on the show today. Uh, and, of course, if you're coming into the podcast later on on iTunes or iHeart, uh, welcome as well. So, you know, as many of you uh, come into the show, maybe this is the first or second time you've, you've dropped in. And so kind of give you a little bit of background how it works. You know, I generally have the, the privilege of meeting a lot of these inspiring leaders uh, run into their businesses or find them on LinkedIn, wherever it may be, and have a lot of maybe interesting questions, things I'd love to, to know more about them, more about their companies. And so instead of me being the only one who gets to know the answers, I developed this show to really give you the opportunity as a listener to, to hopefully dive into those topics with us, get some good information that you might be able to use in your own companies, and most importantly, maybe take something with you that you can use down the road. As I said, uh, we're here live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can find us on the TuneIn Network uh, to listen in live. But uh, most of you actually come in and listen via iTunes and iHeartRadio. So we're averaging over 10,000 downloads a day uh, with podcasts, and that that equates to millions in a month. And we really appreciate everyone's support, everyone enjoying the show, and big thank you to everyone who's tuning in regularly. And one other kind of fun places that we enjoy having some interactions on Twitter. So if you have a question, you have a comment, anything you want to talk about, uh, pop it in there. Use at PeopleG2, the hashtag Talent Talk. If you don't know the handle of the of the guest, once you get that first question into us, we'll, we'll add it in there and, and get the conversation going. So if you have a question live uh, or even after the fact, you can send it to us that way. My guest today will include Hal Stewart. He's the director of HR for the Hangar 24 Brewery. And then we will have... Uh, uh, Cheyenne uh, uh, Mashatian, uh, he's the head of platform uh, division for Live H2H. So uh, Cheyenne will join me at the second half of the show after our little commercial break. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest, uh, Hal Stewart. Hal, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, about your uh, about the place where you work, and you know what you're currently doing there in your, your role as director of HR. Certainly. So I started off in HR in a strange way, roundabout way in the legal industry, but then ended up working at um, Home Depot and um, Crown Lift Trucks and Under Armour and a few other facilities doing all kinds of multi-site service, retail, you name it. Um, and now currently am the director of HR at Hangar 24 Craft Brewery, which is a mid-sized brewery in Southern California, and I handle all aspects of HR. We're a smaller company here, so it's... Um, payroll, HR, benefits, you name it. You know, and I happened to, to be in your brewery a few months back, and I really enjoyed it. And, and, and as I was sitting, I think, on one of those little leather chairs near the uh, 
the bar there, I was thinking this would be an interesting conversation to have with someone about how this whole place works because you have so many moving parts there. You're, you're brewing beer, you're, you're dealing with employees, you're dealing with customers. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of maybe in some ways the best of, of, of work and maybe some of the most complicated HR issues as well, <laughs> all under one roof. So I'm kind of looking forward to, to diving into that a little bit. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I know you had several other positions throughout the years. What, what was it that really kind of brought you into that frame of, of human resources? What's, what's really got your attention there? Sure. So after I graduated college, I got into the legal industry and hopped around a couple of uh, law firms doing paralegal work. And I ended up in the legal department at Home Depot in Southern California, managing all their um, employment law cases with outside counsel. Looking at those, when you see what mistakes were made and learning the things that we've done wrong, I made a decision that I wanted to get into the proactive side of it and stop the things from happening before they got to lawsuits. So started getting into HR there and eventually uh, moved on to become the regional HR for Crown Lift Trucks, which is a forklift company handled multi-states there and multi-facilities and eventually ended up opening a distribution center in California for Under Armour and which we started off with about 20 people and eventually grew it up to about 1,500 people across 24 hours shifts. So quite a big facility and then um, made a change and stepped into a much, much smaller role here. But the whole idea is all along has always been getting them start up, getting things set right to where we don't have... Um, hopefully don't have as many mistakes being made down the road. So, you know, as you kind of look at um, the maybe past companies or other companies that you've heard of, what are some of those mistakes? What are some of those things that you're seeing that are, you feel like you can stop proactively um, instead of waiting for, you know, there to be a case, you know, or some sort of litigation around that issue? Absolutely. Well, number one thing is to have your have policies policies established, and as things come up, you know, developing policies for you know the changing environment, a changing business, so that you have a groundwork for for your rules. And one of the mistakes I think some people make is then that's the, the rule, and there's no bending or breaking it. But I think, in my own personal experience, it's been how does the rule apply to certain situations? You always have to look at each one each, each one individually. Um, apply it to that situation and the things that are coming up. The second part of it, I think, is the most important part of this job, which is, you know, I think is communication and being the liaison to make sure that there's communication going on between people. One of the biggest things I have seen all through my career has been managers who come in and they've said, you know, this person did X, Y, and Z, and they're ready to fire them. Um, but my first question always back is, did you ask them why? And so many times we have managers that want to just come in and they've got, they know the whole story and they're not going to change, you know, they want to fire them, they want to suspend them. And then when you go back and make them talk to the person, a lot more comes out. So facilitating that communication between the two helps a lot to avoid it going further and to avoid the, you know, employee being, uh, getting to the point where they want to sue or, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's, you know, you, you can have policies and procedures in place, and those are always meant to, you know, help everyone understand what the rules are, what the guidelines are. And you kind of made a good point about it, you know, being maybe a guideline more of a than a hard, you know, black and white line. Um, exactly. But, you, you know, after a company puts those things in place, and aside from maybe a quick orientation on your first day in the door, how do you go from, you know, that being 
what the company wants you to do to actually making sure that you know the staff and and are actively thinking about those things. I mean, you know, what I mean, a paragraph in a in a in a manual doesn't mean a whole lot six months or a year down the road when you've been working there. Um, so, right. so, is there something you do to kind of bridge that gap? A few things we. I usually annually will put out a reminder of policies and we'll bring up the bigger policies, uh, you know, our harassment, and drug abuse, and those types of things. But I also try to make sure that we have as many different ways to put the policy out in front of the workforce as possible. So um, I always use kind of an SOP format, you know, a standard operating procedure, which I kind of picked up at Home Depot. And back in those old days, um, they had like a big car parts looking manual that had all the SOPs in it and employees could go into the break room and look at those. And that was where they were always directed to go look. And so I've kind of taken that same approach and whether it's a kiosk in the break room or whatever it is to where more than just the handbook is available to them, but the policies are as well so that they can go look. And that's their jumping off point, their starting point to see what they're supposed to be doing. And then of course, going to their managers or supervisors. Again, it's just communicating everything out and making sure that we're all up on the board everybody's you know looking at the same thing and the same rules do, do you ever fight against that kind of i call it the old telephone game right where one person you know repeats it to the other person and repeats it to another person and next thing you know what's in the book and what everyone else is doing although unintentional is really wrong or not what what had originally been put put kind of put in place so do you have to kind of tackle that with the managers is that you know do you have to kind of uh, watch out for that type of scenario absolutely um you as you as usually as we roll out a policy um, we'll have meetings and training for the managers or for whoever it's for but especially managers so that they know what the rule is and usually if we come across those situations where you have the old telephone or the this is the way we've always done it even if it's not the policy that's when it becomes important again to even if you're not changing it to roll it out again in front of the team bring them in do some training on it remind them of what it is sometimes it's easy, easy as just sending out an email with the policy hey, this is what the policy is if you've got questions then you know talk to hr other times it requires training if it's you know progressive discipline or something like that where we need to bring them in and really train them again on how to use the policy and, and do you ever find situations on a very often where you know, there is enough pushback or enough questions or, you know, if staff comes back and, and the policy ends up getting updated or changed, um, you know, kind of back to your original point of why, you know, why is this in place or what are you trying to actually accomplish with that? Does it, is it kind of a living, breathing document or do you feel like it's relatively stagnant? I think they're all living, breathing documents. Your, your employees change, the uh, atmosphere changes, the um your business model changes. There's so many changes that can happen that can affect it. You know, laws change that you're always looking at it. You're always trying to update it. You're always trying to stay on top of what the new changes are and put that in place. We've always, you know, I try to keep up on all the legal aspects of it. I've got a lot of big network of lawyers, obviously, that I've dealt with in the past that I keep up with on those. But then just the um, general atmosphere and knowing and making sure you're in front of the employees and that you're in tune with them to where their wants and needs are and if there's changes that need to be made as well. And then it sounds like the kind of additional wrinkle that I alluded to earlier in the conversation was, you know, compared to Home Depot and Under Armour and your other positions, that kind of new element of where you are now is, is certainly alcohol. You have giant vats of, of, of booze hanging around. So Absolutely. how does that change things for you in your role now? It was a, definitely a, a unique experience to come into considering any time there was alcohol found at any of the other places I was at, that person usually got fired. Now we're making it. So 
Um, <laughs> it was a different, definitely a different, different atmosphere. But um, even tighter controls need to be put in place to make sure that people aren't drinking it on the job or that it's not um, disappearing. Or you know, we do have a, two facilities: a restaurant and a tasting room, and our employees will hang out there after work and making sure that they're representing the company in the right way, that they're not you know, overindulging themselves and making the company look bad, tightening up all those. And we've had, I've, I've had a few that we've had to deal with already that we've had to tighten up some of the rules. And, um, you know, we do tasting panels during work day. So there are times where people are drinking at work, but it's a limited amount and we're watching what that is. You know, we don't want to get to the point where we have to ban everything altogether and breathalyze people as they leave the building, but um, also goes back to hiring and making sure that we're hiring the right people. Um, it was a definitely a unique experience. At, um, we had a Christmas party this year, and it was one of the first ones where I didn't have to discipline anybody afterwards. I think the fact that our people are around it all the time when they got around it at a party like that, it was not the normal overindulgence by certain employees because it was free alcohol. As they're more used to it here. So it's definitely brought some unique and complex changes to what my view has been in the past. Yeah, and, and it, it's kind of fascinating to hear you say that, you know, it was the first Christmas party you didn't have to, or holiday party you didn't have to discipline anybody. So it sounds like you've gotten the pretty good buy-in, you got a pretty good program set up to where uh, people understand, uh, you know, what they can and can't do. And, you know, it, it's a difficult situation to be around all that. And if you talk about tasting panels and, and all that going on, and, I, and like I said, I've been yeah. there, and people are having a good time, your patrons are having a good time, and it... it, it, it could be a challenge i think for some people to to maybe exist in that environment without uh you know partaking or or, or taking it to an extreme and it be then becoming an hr issue so i appreciate Absolutely. you kind of giving us a little uh little color there to to some of the things that you're <laughs> dealing with I, I know that you kind of mentioned uh you know i think on your linkedin profile one of your strengths is te- strengths is uh, team building so how different do you feel a company will be if they've created a really solid team through intentional efforts of team building versus maybe just kind of ones that maybe don't put a whole lot of emphasis on it? Do, do, you, do you see a distinct difference there? I do. Um, but it also depends on how you can be intentional with it and still not get it right. Um, and it seems forced and the employees you know push back more than they accept it. Um, so it has to be something that is bought into by the top and bottom of the organization. And probably there's no better place that I've ever seen that than was at Under Armour. Uh, it was built into the culture, and it was just a, um, you know, there was chants and cheers that people did, and, and it went down to the group levels and um, employees and their teams and, and taking pride in the company. And then we would facilitate and push that more with more team-building events, going out and doing certain things, um, doing the you, you can do the good old-fashioned, you know, ropes courses and all those types of things. But, again, if not everybody's buying into it or understanding why you're doing it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And making sure that your management, your upper management, your employees, they're all participating together and interacting with each other, I think, is another big part of team building. I look back at when we first started at Under Armour and we did the Tough Mudder together. We had the whole building go do it. And we had, for instance, myself, who was kind of working with a group of people who were hourly teammates on the floor that were moving boxes during the day and they're walking with me and running with me and we're helping each other and pushing each other through these ops and by the end you know we we all finished it and here we are we come back to work after that and there's just a different type of respect for each other 
and understanding that you get. And as you continue to build on that is where you start making great teams. Um, but again, if it's something that's forced and it's just nobody's believing in it, they're just doing it because upper management told them to, it does, it's not as effective. Yeah, so how do some of those exercises then maybe impact company culture? And, you know, assuming that they do, are there specific things that, you know, uh, let's say maybe senior management needs to really do to make sure that it's as effective as it can be? Um, Absolutely. There's, I mean, there's some of them that you are doing exercises and you're doing um, role-playing exercises and things like that where, you then need to build on it afterwards. It's not, it doesn't stop when it, when that course ends or when that event ends. It's then going and building on top of that, I think is the most important thing for senior management and management to understand is that it doesn't stop because the course is over, because the event is over. You now need to continue to build on those relationships and show how it ties into the work that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that, if they don't understand why, it goes back to your you kind of brought up very early on. You know why? Why are we doing this? And why is this important? And uh, how will this help us in our work? And uh, certainly, you understood the results after it was done. But if you don't have a clear idea of why it's going on, you may not get that participation or that passion or that energy right. to get that you know, the full extent out of it. Otherwise, it's just some you know dumb falling exercise that HR is making us doing, do, right? I mean, exactly. instead of it, exactly. them really understanding what's really happening. Right. As you get into one where you know everybody's holding hands and they got to reach back and grab something and the team works together to hold that person and put them down there, it's great fun. And you watch people fall and you watch people make it, that's a great fun thing to do. But if you don't then explain even afterwards similarities of this versus it, all helping each other out in our normal work day, you know, ties right into this and then they can understand why you did it um but if you just did it and then moved on to the next exercise it really doesn't serve any purpose except for maybe having fun for people yeah exactly exactly well you know there's one skill that i often see that you know ceos or c-level people seem to have a pretty good grasp on and that's negotiation skills and then that tends to bleed down into sales uh, people involved in sales and and that area that they they tend to have some training and some understanding of negotiation but i i don't often see that being an area of you know conferences and, and something that people really put a lot of focus on for hr and yet it feels like such a natural thing that people in hr should be good at negotiating they should have those skills they should understand uh, you know we're all in negotiations all day long whether we will you know, are, are conscious of it or not. So, how does negotiation play in, into your role and in, in, in the HR in a, in a broader sense for you? Definitely, it's a huge part of the of the business. And you're right that we don't really put a lot of emphasis on it. I think we just hope that people in this industry have it built into them. You know, there's the basic things, which is you know, negotiating benefits contracts, that type of thing. But really, I think the negotiating comes into play with. HR when you're dealing with management, the employees walking the line between the two and trying to more or less be a mediator or arbitrator between the two, letting making sure that neither one of them feels that you're more on one side or the other because then you failed. So it's negotiating between parties that way, but you're also negotiating with um, the company a lot of times where you, you have certain things that need to be done from an HR perspective or that should be done from an HR perspective. And now you've got to sell management on why we have to do this. Um, probably the biggest one that comes into play is usually training. Um, everybody always wants more training for their people, but they never want to 
give up the time or money in the in the company to get it done and trying to figure out and negotiate on how how we can make this most beneficial to the company and least affect production and cost us the least amount of money and negotiating with our our own management about that is one of the toughest things i think you do um from an hr perspective so it's it, there's so many different ways that you negotiate when you're in, in hr yeah you think a training program is expensive until you go back and realize you count up all the salary that you're paying all those people to not technically not work at that moment and then it gets real expensive so yeah exactly. it's, a, it's an incredible <laughs> negotiation um, well, ROI we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we ask our last two uh, questions. Uh, is there a book that you're reading right now you might share with us? Certainly. I just actually just started reading a book. Um, it's by our former uh, General Stanley McChrystal. It's Team of Teams. He goes into, he you know, when he went into Afghanistan and led the um, special forces there, and they were such fragmented groups among the different branches of the military, and he brought them all together. and um, working towards a common goal so that it broke down all the silos, which siloing is such a big thing in, in a lot of companies, especially the bigger ones, and how you break down those silos and get them into smaller groups and give them the freedom to kind of make their own decisions and operate, but while they're also sharing that information across the the company, across all the groups, um, kind of comes out to a less meetings but more information flow. So I'm looking forward to pitching that. Well, how can people uh, get a hold of you, or if they're interested in uh, you know coming down and checking out the the, the brewery? Maybe they want to have a beer. Maybe they want to work there. What's the best way for them to find out more about your company? Absolutely, our for the uh, for our company, our website is um, www.hanger h a n g a r twenty four brewery b r e w e r y dot com and you can get lots of information on our uh, facilities and on the beer itself and our hours for me personally you can reach me um through linkedin i have an open profile there that people can look into it's uh, and under my name it's hal stewart h-a-l well fantastic hal thank you so much for being on our show today hopefully our listeners got some uh, good takeaways for them uh, to think about and apply to their own careers uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on what you're doing. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back with our uh, second guest. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? 
Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. All right, welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you're uh, just joining us, you missed a great interview with Hal Stewart, the director of HR of Hangar 24 Brewery. You can go back and listen to his show uh, when we get the podcast uh, up there for iTunes and iHeartRadio. Um, you can also listen to all the other past shows and even visit us at talenttalkradio.com. We've got them all posted up there as well. All right, let's go ahead and get to my uh, next guest. Uh, it's uh, Cheyenne Mashatian. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He's the head of uh, yes. the platform division. All right, he's giving me the yes already. Very good, at Live H2H. So as a reminder, uh, if you have a question for one of us, go ahead and tweet it at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. We'll try to work it in uh, to the show. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, well, please tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do over there at Live H2H. Uh, sure. Um, I started uh, in my 20s when I was part of a small team back home in Iran. We were building Internet infrastructure and connected uh, all the universities in the country to Internet back then in the 90s. Uh, fast forward, I moved to Canada almost 15 years ago. And since then, I have been either working on new ideas for startups or uh, working with large organizations in Canada, U.S., Africa, and China. Uh, to give you some examples, I made uh, healthcare software to measure blood pressure, another one, mobile marketing, SMS security solutions, another platform to allow anyone to build mobile apps without coding. Uh, one that I'm very proud of is a set of mobile apps we built for farmers in rural Africa uh, to help them to get access to information they need. Uh, that project was done by Grammy Foundation, sponsored by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which was amazing uh, how to, we can apply technology to solve some social uh, problems. Yeah, and then uh, recently I joined iTutor Group, which is the largest online educational platform in the world, and I am heading live Jewish division inside uh, the company. So as a tech you know, industry veteran, I, I guess we could call you, uh, you've seen and understood the challenge of keeping you know, talented, interested, and, and engaged, um, and even kind of an ever-changing tech landscape. I mean, so much has happened over the last 10 or 15 years. So what are some of the best ways that you've seen or used to keep top talent really interested and engaged in a company, you know, especially things that might, we might think about that are, will continue to be important in the future? The way I see each product and the team we are putting together is like in a story. Uh, it's a story in making. Um, just imagine you are a lead writer in writing a story, and not only you need uh, some players to come and play specific roles, you need them and have them to help you to develop this story. So when you think... That way, anyone who comes and joins the team uh, is one of the characters, and you give them flexibility to uh, develop the story and influence it and help to uh, shape its direction. That's how I would say most of the products and projects that I have been working on has been formed. Uh, those who would share this, uh, the vision of the story with you and believe in it and are excited to be part of it are the one to join and stay with you. So anytime uh, that I had a better story to tell uh, or articulate it better, 
uh, it's been working uh, great to attract the right people, right talents, and uh, keep them around until we deliver this story together. Yeah, and as a serial entrepreneur, that's probably a big, major, big component of being successful is really you know recruiting the right talent, identifying the right people. So, you know, what are some of the things you think? people should be thinking about as they're moving into a startup or they're maybe progressing their startup into a more sophisticated business? You know, what's really some of the better pieces of talent recruitment advice you might have? What I have experienced uh, is a couple of, I guess, items are very important here. First of all, uh, those who join you, as I mentioned, they believe in that vision and what's going to happen for this happy ending story, I would say and uh, have not only faith uh, in founders and uh, kind of follow them because startups, they go a lot of ups and down and it's not as linear as big organizations. And those who believe in the vision, believe uh, in leadership and founders and in themselves, that they, are, uh, they want to get this done, they are capable in doing it and uh, they are willing to go through this process. Another uh, important part is um, we see many of uh, people who join a startups or a smaller team, they can see what's happening end to end. Uh, recently I had the chance and very lucky to um, attract uh, very talented motivated uh, people coming from big organizations because uh, they see they are uh, in the middle of a large process. They don't see uh, where this uh, all activities start and where it ends. But when they join, they can see their thoughts, their design, the, the piece of code they develop. It can go live in a month or two weeks. And uh, they see how users are using it, what feedbacks they have. And seeing the fruit of your work in such a short iteration that helps you to learn from it and understand and go to next phase is very rewarding and uh, very compelling to many people who join us. For some people, that kind of startup role or being in, in the hunt in that kind of company can be really exciting. And if they've had that experience of being in a big, safe, maybe somewhat boring company, and they don't, as you, you bring up a great point, they don't necessarily see the fruits of their labor. They don't you know, have a whole lot of visibility to the bottom. They don't have a whole lot of visibility to the top. They're, they're some, somewhere in the middle. And so is what I'm doing important? Is what I'm doing making a difference? Is what I'm doing actually helping the company or hurting the company? And they just don't know. So, yeah, if they're willing to take that uh, chance and come into a smaller organization, they can really have huge uh, kind of visibility and, and, and make one decision and see how, how that actually will, will make a difference. I know back in 2015, you published a, a model around company culture, and I think it's ad, Agilelitrix. Is that correct? Is that how you say it? Yes, yes. That, that wasn't by, done by me. I actually uh, uh, learned it uh, in a book, and I saw a lot of value in it in republishing ah, it under my okay. name. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. So it's something you kind of use for your companies then. So maybe you could kind of explain a little bit about that. I know there's some different components, and, uh, you know, um, one of them was culture. You know, how do we do things around here to succeed? Can you, can you kind of talk about how you implement that? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the whole uh, idea of uh, company culture, you know, there are a lot of conversations around it. At the end of the day, as a business, uh, we need to deliver our product, our services. Business needs to be sustainable, make some profit. But on the other side, 
people need to enjoy what they do. They understand and we grow together. This model tries to um, kind of picture what kind of organization you want to be and how to structure the team and the processes that work together. On one side, you have uh, very rigid structures. For instance, if you make some uh, product for banking or security products, there are certain requirements. It has to be met. There, there is not much flexibility around it, how we do it. Or some customers, they have very specific needs. But at the same time, if we are not uh, growing together, have shared the same vision, we cannot do it. We become isolated people sitting in our cubicles, just do something and watch our, you know, clock uh, when it's five to go home. So the model tries to provide a balance uh, between these models. And if you look at any company, maybe time to time in different phases of the product life cycle, you see there is more emphasis in, okay, we need to deliver this. We have a deadline. Let's everyone follow the lead. Uh, but then in the other phase, uh, you have more flexibility, especially when you are tackling uh, a problem, some uh, problems that there is no obvious answer to it. Then you see a lot of flexibility and how we and can work together as we strive for excellence, still helping each other to grow and enable each other to uh, make that happen. Uh, I, I found it very useful in uh, understanding uh, who to hire, who to add to the team, and how to form the dynamics inside the team in different cycles of the product development. And, and were there certain things that you found that... Um those people working for you particularly appreciated or really gravitated to as a uh, as a positive for the organization? Absolutely. I, I would like to say is always working with each other, not working for me. I firmly mm-hmm. believe in uh, uh, kind of not a huge hierarchy. It's true at the end of the day, someone needs to make the final decisions and uh, move the business forward. Uh, but the point is, uh, each of us have a function in a team. And uh, if uh, one person, it doesn't. It, there is not a small or big role. I believe in the company. You can think everything starts with the design, then coding, then QA. Uh, each of us need to do our job properly in the best innovative way. Otherwise, the whole thing gonna fail. So uh, the whole point is how to create the atmosphere that we are doing this together, and each of us have a function that uh, we take care of some piece of it. And I always try to do this with a lot of delegation, try to provide an enabling environment that uh, everyone feels uh, they can uh, bring value to the table. They can do opposite things. They can do things that no one else expected. As long as it fits and it makes sense overall, you can convince others. You can have them to buy your vision, then that's fine. We can do it. There is no, uh, as I said, pre-solid written script, everyone needs to act based on that. No, there's a lot of flexibility around here. And, and I know one of the kind of tenets of that model was um, that we succeed by growing people who fulfill our vision. And one of the things I was sort of taken back w- w- with that idea was that sometimes our vision as leaders changes, right? We, we, we realized we were on the wrong track. We realized that we need to go in a new direction. Um, have you been in those situations where maybe you had the right people for that vision, but then Maybe your vision changed, your, your ideas changed, and you had to, to then kind of you know, pivot within the side of the company? Oh, absolutely. It's it, something happens 
I can say in a daily basis, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> you know, you need to keep going back and validate what you want to do. And uh, part, you know, market condition changes, competition comes, uh, you know, uh, to the market. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts. They say uh, nine out of 10 startups usually fail. And I always say because usually out of 10 parameters, uh, you, ha- you can control only one of them, maybe. That's why uh, this happened. Definitely those changes happen. But again, uh, we are thinking about it at different levels. We are thinking about the process. Let me give you an example. When I went to Africa to build those software, so we had this design. We knew we need to build this number of apps in very short uh, deadline, like 60 to 90 days. And everyone was telling me, oh, you need to outsource to Africa, uh, to India. I was in Uganda. And uh, it's impossible. You cannot do it in the U.S. You cannot do it here. There is no resources. I went to uh, Central University in Kampala. I went to computer uh, science school and I started talking to students in the campus. What do you know about this technology, that technology? So I realized they know the basics. And by some, uh, you know, very uh, kind of hackathon style training and workshops, they can be part of the team. The key was they all loved what we want to do. We wanted to build some software that can be used by uh, locals there. It could be their cousins, their uncles, their friends. And if it's successful, everyone benefits. And they grow in this uh, environment. And we did it. Um, We had some help, some uh, volunteers coming from U.S. uh, to train them and help them to get going and it was extremely successful uh, so process was sometimes challenging yes we needed to change direction yes uh, a lot of change happens but because we all knew where we are going why we are doing it and what is the end goal we were able to figure out the process and uh, have it done you mentioned this um, project in africa a few times and I'm gonna maybe guess that this is one of the Maybe one of your top achievements or something that you're really proud of. Uh, maybe you could go in a little deeper for us. And what, what were the apps you know, really doing? I, I've heard of some apps that were in Africa helping people understand pricing at the markets and trying to you know, help them remove the middleman. I mean, what, what were your apps specifically doing to, to help? Yeah, it was a, a suite of applications that, uh, for instance, uh, when you want uh, to do plantation in uh, Africa, if a heavy rain comes, it can washes up all the seeds and goes away. So you need to get access to the simplest information. We take it as granted in, you know, developed countries like weather. Uh, will it be rainy next week or not? Uh, or if middleman comes to buy your chickens, what is the end price, you know, in market? So you have information, therefore room for negotiations. Uh, the project uh, called community knowledge workers in each village we would find one person and we would give them a phone and with these apps installed on it so they could serve the community and provide the information uh, it's like five six years old uh, project now and uh, there are a lot a lot has happened from uh, mobile money and uh, advanced phones a lot has changed since then but that was one of the pioneering uh, actually initiatives to not only create this program also design it in a way which it can sustain on its own. But I think the point I want to make about all of these projects or products is that uh, when we, it's all about innovation, I would say at the end of the day, it can be social innovation or business innovation. And the most successful and exciting projects I have worked on and the team really bought into it and stick around to get it done when we were 
addressing a problem, a real problem that could transfer lives or businesses. Uh, Eric Schmidt has a, a very interesting book. It says how in new digital uh, age uh, we are helping to transfer nations, businesses, and lives. And I truly believe in it. That's what matters at the end of the day. Technology by itself is technology, is any other technology. How we apply it to solve a problem is really what matters. Well, and what you're doing in Africa there just uh, it kind of highlighted a really important point that just basic information was so valuable to the people there. Um, you know, you start talking about, is it going to rain next week? I mean, think, well, yeah, you open the Farmer's Almanac, but that may not be something they had in their area. So um, now we have all these... Uh, we could just we could just Google it, right? And and that's not yes. necessarily true for for everybody else. So um, exactly. getting getting the right information to the right people at the right time is kind of paramount to any project or any company or any app or anything that you're doing to being successful. So uh, it's, it's a great lesson, a great reminder for all of us that sometimes what we just need is the simple information so we can make a good decision, um, whether it's in our companies and our families, um, with whatever it is we're doing. So very true. Um, I, I'm wondering uh, if there is a book that maybe you're reading right now or maybe you just recently finished that you might share with us uh, we might take a look at. Sure. Actually, uh, development has been always my interest, giving my background and um, what I have experienced. I'm reading a biography of uh, Deng Xiaoping, uh, China. Uh, you know, China in the uh, last 30 years have done a great job to get uh, almost a billion people out of extreme poverty. And uh, through his biography and life story, you can see all uh, ups and downs, uh, you know, he went through and how he handled different difficult situations until uh, he was able to mobilize the country to make this huge uh, uh, search happen. So, yeah, I'm in the middle. It's a 900 pages book, <laughs> and I'm uh, reading it any time I find a chance. But there are a lot of lessons to learn uh, from his life and what he has accomplished. Well, uh, my most important question is, is how can people get a hold of you or learn more about your work if they're interested in what you're doing or working for you or buying your products and services? What's the best way for them to find out more? Absolutely. My email is shayan at liveh2h.com and uh, my Twitter, shayanrm. If you don't mind, I wanted to also, if you have time, talk a bit about liveh2h and what we do here because Absolutely. I think that will be interesting. Uh, so we all know with uh, Skype, uh, FaceTime, and Google Hangouts, peer-to-peer uh, -peer or one-to-one -one, uh, video conferencing call was made available to everyone. What we do at liveh2h, we are making that uh, same technology for group calling available to anyone for free. And what's happening, a lot of magic happens here because people can freely connect without being worried about paying, uh, you know, per time, per user. They can collaborate. They can communicate. They can engage in all sorts of different activities. It can be for nonprofit groups, for education, even for uh, startups. Anyone can uh, come together and freely use a lot of tools that help them to innovate and create new ideas and new concepts. It can be a student project or just a new idea you want to work on. We are trying to break the barriers, the physical distance, even language barrier. We have some live translation tools you can use. Uh, and we look forward. It's an enabling platform. We have made this available, but we are looking for people who bring their ideas and uh, imagination and innovation 
to build a lot of uh, applications and good stuff on top of it that anyone can use. And I look forward uh, to listen, uh, hear from your audience and uh, anyone who has ideas and would like to join us uh, in any capacity would love to hear from them. Well, sounds really uh, fascinating and um it's almost like, uh, I guess, the Mozilla, the Firefox model, you know, people coming together and, and putting together these great tools and resources that really all of us will maybe be able to benefit from. And uh, certainly if you're a startup or you're a nonprofit or you kind of mentioned a couple of different groups there, having a communication piece for free would be fantastic. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely uh, go, go out there and check out Live H2H. Yes. Um, it's the number two it listed in there. And uh, hopefully they can do that. But, uh, hey, really appreciate you being on the show today. Gave us a lot of great information and really kind of a fascinating story to hear some of the things that you've been involved in and how you've been able to go through it. So thank you for being part of the show. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Uh, again, thank you to both my guests. Uh, and thank you all for listening to the show. Hopefully you've gained something that will help you in your own career. Next week, my guests will include uh, Tom Becker, the CEO and founder of uh, Telenium, and Denise Corcoran, the CEO of The Empowered Business. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.